Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shir. And as we do weekly, we do Nishmas, Nachman Yaakov, and Sihir Shalom Shalom, and Batshevachana, La Shalom, Basibotu, and Avram, Shihir Shalom Shalom. We have now entered into the month of Chaydesh Adar, the great and happy and joyous month of the year. It's a mitzvah to go into Adar to be Marbim B'Simcha. month of Adar, of course, as we know, is the Mazel Dogim. Mazel of the fish, month of other, is the month of the miracle of Purim, which is upcoming in Merzah Hashem. And of course, the month of the Dalad Parshias two of which, one of which we already had, Pashash Kolom was last week, and this Shabbos is no Pasha at all, is a void, blank. Next Shabbos, Emer Tzshem Erev Purim, will be Emer Tzashem Pasha Zacher, and we'll discuss the other two Pashas thereafter. Um, we're not going to discuss Pasha Zacher, we're going to discuss the upcoming dates. Shabbos, of course, Vov, and Sunday will be Zayin. Zayin Adr is a discussion on its own. As we know that Haman Arasha chose the month of Purim. Hippiopur, says in the Megillah. It fell out the raffle he made to see what day, what month is the most the Jews the most vulnerable? And he found he discovered a tremendous, brilliant discovery on his part that in the month of other Meshira been passed away, and therefore it's a sad month for the Jews. And indeed he would be right. But what he did not realize, or he did not know what was amiss by him was the fact that Zayin Adar is also Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday, and of course Mazali Goiver, etc. And therefore, the month of Adar was not only a month that is not chasson for the decrees of the Jews, but Adar was for blessings. And we know that according to Shechon it says, if a person has any kind of dintero with a non-Jew, any kind of court case, person should push it off to the month of other for the month of other is a time of simcha of joy and a time where of course mazel will prevail this Shabbos will be reading therefore only one Sefer Teda will be reading Pashas Teruma Teruma Aesis Teda Mem the Teda that was given in 40, on the 40th 40th, the year of 40, which is the 49th day 
of Yitzhiz and Shayim, the men, what happened? Just to discuss. The main concept of the Parsha is the main concept of Judaism, the main stay of our behavior, how a Jew needs to live his life, which is the Vi'asul Imigdash, Vishakanti Besecham, Besech Kolechad, Vyechad, Yisrael. Pasik says that the Almighty asked the Jews. Make for me a tabernacle of Seicham, and I will dwell amongst them. Amongst them, obviously, would not be grammatically correct. Rather, to say, Make for me a Migdash, I will dwell within it. Each and every Jew is his own tabernacle. Each and every Jew, his body embodies the concept of Teda Mitzvah, which we'll discuss soon, to a level that he is a dwelling place for the Almighty Himself. The Sifri has taught us that the truth is, all had to say, make a Migdash, make a tabernacle. What is the concept of Asuli? To make to me. And the Sefi teaches us, whenever it says the word Li, it means a perpetual, forever and ever. In the Migdash, it says, make for me a Migdash, Li. We also find in the Medrash every place. Any place that says Li, it means it will never move forever, not in this world, not in the world to come. And it says B'migdash, V'asuli Migdash. The Tzemach Tzedek explains what does it mean, it does not move from this world. Because it says, I will be for you a small tabernacle. And the Rizal say, What is the Migdash Ma'at in today's day? What, Migdash, what represents today in this day and age where we unfortunately go to Yerushalayim and can't even get to the wall barely, definitely not into the Temple Mount? What is therefore the tabernacle that we refer to? We refer to each and every base Knesses, every shul. If that's the case, it doesn't move in this world either. Now we need to basically understand how this works, the Li. That as I'll explain, our sages explain, several explanations. Firstly, when it says, B'migdosh v'hamizbeach yiroa, we've seen in the Migdosh and the Mizbeach, even though we know that by the construction of, of Shleim HaMelech, the edifice that Shleim built, many, many things have disappeared. 
but they disappeared in a way they were put and hidden. So although we don't see them, they have not gone lost. A second concept, even though the Migdash was destroyed, the holiness of this spot has not been nullified. And of course, as we know, we can't walk in certain places on the Temple Mount. But we need to understand though, why is it not understandable for the Tzemach the explanations that we had before the Chedet works out very well because according to what they're saying here each and every person is his own Migdash and they perpetuate it not only about the Kinesias that the shuls that look like a Migdash each and every person the Ramam writes in Sefer Mitzvahs explanation of what the Sifri is trying to tell us the Amru kol mokim shenemar li wherever it says the word li harayomikayim le'elam it means forever and ever which means to say kleimar shudavar masmid ve'ene mitzave lefisha it's a perpetual thing and not just a moment for, moment, for the moment However, I will roi mechuyiv the data data, but it's something that's fit and obligated for generations thereafter. Which means to say, the explanation of kayim le'elam, perpetual, existing forever, is not only the chefza, not only the object itself is going to exist forever. The gavra, the chiyiv gavra, the obligation of the person. To make this edifice exist forever also is also in place. That's why it says Li, anywhere it says, Kamakrishnama Li is a Tivitmidi Ladatis is a commandment for forever and ever in generations. And therefore we can say now what was the Tzemach Tzedek's issue with this to explain that Enes Zoz Le'elam doesn't move forever because the Nitzchus of the Migdash the perpetuation of the Migdash the fact that the Shechina rests in the holy place of the Migdash this shows only on the Kiyom of Nitzchim of the Chefts of the Migdash. The Chefts of the Migdash, the actual edifice. Not on the actual existence of the Gavra, the actual obligation, perpetual obligation of the Gavra. Therefore, when it says Einazoz Le'ilam, referring to the Migdash Ma'at, these are the Batakinesias. And therefore, we have a perpetual obligation of also the Migdash. And forever and ever, to Mekayim also physically. Because there's always this Chiyav to be Kevea, a place for Hashem, to establish a place for Hashem, 
even though the physical base of is not standing, wherever there are Jews, wherever there is a shul. As we said before, Vishakanti Bisaikham Bisaikal in Emma Bisaikham Bisaikal Echadvech and Israel. Doesn't say I'll dwell within him, it says I'll dwell within them, which means to makes reference to Saikal Echadvech and each and every Jew. Each and every Jew needs to make a Mishkan for his Now we understand what's Asuli Mikdash. Why we say Kayim Leilam, why it's going to exist forever. Why, how is it possible that the Mesa Mikdash exists? The concept of Mikdash will always be there. Because the fact that the person makes his own Dalaramis, his own home, a place of Teda and Tefillah, he sets aside a room or a place, a special part in the house. There he serves God. Therefore, Vasily Mikdash is making a Mikdash. And we understand, of course, just like in my basic Nessus, it's an established building. We put up an edifice. Same thing as in a private house. The preparations, the establishing of a place of service to God is not only a decision that one makes, but he establishes this part of the house where he sits and learns. It's the mice opinion. For example... When you build in your house a svarim shafa, a bookcase, and you have a special table on which you learn a shtender or whatever on which you learn it, so this therefore you are setting aside an actual area for Torah learning. We know the Mishnah Pirkei tells us. There are three amudim. There are three beams on which the world stands. Allah Teda, Allah Veda, Second Mishnah in the first period. In the temple, in the Mikdash, we find these three pillars. Firstly, Teda. The Ark and the Luchas. Harabai is considered Haramaria. What's a Maria? That the concept of Meiro, of learning, Heiro, lessons, comes from the mountain. And the Sanhedrin, of course, would sit in Lishkasad Gazas and sit and study. So we have Teda. We have a Veda, of course, the Karbanis. The fact that we daven today, we consider that a Veda, is Tvila B'makim Karbanis Tiknum. The Tvila was established in the place of the sacrifices. 
because we can't bring the sacrifices, we save in a shalom abadim sefaseinu, that the potim should be completed, they should be compensated with our lips, and we should be able to say, by enunciating, by by reading the karbanos, The Karbanas, therefore, we are Yetzu with Aveda Karbanas. And as we say, Kibesi, based the field, Yekara the Chalam. And of course, Kimilas Chasodim. The Beis Hamidash, it was called the Lishkas Chashoim. There, it was done, everything was done quietly. And everybody would come, anyone that needed was able to go there to get whatever they needed. I'm sorry if the uh, Skype had a blank over there in the middle. Welcome back now. The same thing as the Migdosh. The Seicholechet V'yachet B'Yisrael, each and every Jew, needs to have, of course, the three Kavim, Teira, Avedik, and Meshachasadim. Teira, Tvila, and Meshachasadim. Ikubat Siddaka, Chalas Tzarechim, Meshachasadim. And we add, just like the Binyam Yisamidosh, everyone needs to build and to establish both men, women, and children. Just like we find by the Migdash, even the smallest things, oh, internet again, even the smallest little trinkets that were brought for the donations were used. Saint Isosali Migdash. In his house of each and every Jew, the thing that men, women, and children need to be makayim through establishing their time for teda aveda. You must have something. You a screwdriver, huh? A screws. Have a screwdriver in the car. Oh, a screwdriver, you don't know. What's the hell? When it comes to tzedakah, it sounds so easy. The gabai goes around, the shamas goes around in the shul. He bangs the pushkas, makes a lot of noise. And either because you're too embarrassed to not put in, because he stopped in front of you, everybody's seeing, watching. Oh, because you want him to stop clapping, so you're trying to just give him tzedakah? That's why people don't want to give him coins, because the coins make more noise. The actual meaning of the banging of pushka comes from funerals. They used to send the shamas of the Cheva Kadisha around with a pushka, People would give it tzedakah, of course, to cover the, in the honor of the mess. But the banging would make noise to drown out the, the, the crying. So the people shouldn't have to hear this, people suffering and crying. And um, unfortunately, it took it to another level. And now you can't hear the person davening. Um, the bush goes around. So you give tzedakah. You reach deep into your pocket when you have a nickel, a dime, a quarter in your pocket. 
And you have those of Hashem that give dollars always, or more. Maybe you should pay them all back with hundredfold, ten thousands fold. Elif Pamim Kacha. The famous story of the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, had a situation of Pidyan Shvuim, that he had to collect money for Pidyan Shvuim to redeem a family that was in prison. Can you just make a nice one? And um, he came to a town where the fame of this town was a miser. Now, what's a miser? You sit in shul and you look around and you see the richest guy in the shul take out a $10 bill and put it in the pushka. And you say to yourself, oh, what a cheapskate. He probably blows his nose in the 50s. So what's $10 for him? Pushka's going around. Why isn't he putting in more? And then you have the Kamsin Kodesh Nebuch, the poor fellow, that takes out a dime, a quarter, and puts it in the pushka, and you see, he's giving it with his full heart. And he's, he's hurting when he gives it, which is the way of tzedakah, give until it hurts. Then you have a miser that Rahman al-Islam can't part with a dime. He just can't bring himself to give tzedakah. He's got money to the kazoo, more money than he could ever spend in his lifetime, or his children's lifetimes. He just can't part with it. He would go to therapy, but he wouldn't pay for it, so he doesn't go. So the Al-Tarebi came to the town, and he wanted to visit the miser, the first person. The miser had a trick. He had a rusty penny, a fajavata penny, and when anyone came to collect, he put down, he had a bag of gold coins in his hand, a big smile on his face, and he would put down the Fajava Tepeni and say, thank you so much for coming and may God bless you in all your endeavors. Needless to say, he looked like he was the owner of the New York Yankees because he was training people to pitch. His people would take the penny and throw it at his head. Are you Meshiga? I come into your mansion, your multi, beautiful, gorgeous house, your money is oozing, you're holding a bag of gold coins, you give me a, a fajava to penny. Hold it, leave me alone. So the Al-Tarebbe said, he wants two Rabbanim to accompany him and he wants to go to the house of the miser. And they tried to dissuade him and they tried to... They knew the Al-Tarebbe was a holy man. They didn't want to embarrass him. Bikitsur, 
The Alter Rebbe came. Two Rabbanu went with him. And before they opened the door, the Alter Rebbe tells them, no matter what you see, don't say a word. No. They come inside and they sit him down in the beautiful plush visitor's room. Well-heated room. Cold winter, Russian cold winter. <laughs> you depict these these houses of 300 years ago. The luxurious quote-unquote houses. They weren't one room with a potbelly oven in the middle of the room. Which is what most houses looked like. And in those houses they raised 10, 12, 15 children. But here they had a house. You didn't see the potbelly oven. The oven was in the kitchen. There was a kitchen. There was a, a place to eat. There was probably even stairs to go upstairs. And the stomach even separate rooms where people used to sleep in. This was luxury. In today's day and age, you couldn't get away with selling such a house. And in those days, it was the luxury. <coughs> so they're sitting in this beautiful, plush living room on the... Uh, <laughs> sure they had major sofa, couches. And the Gvir comes in and he's smiling and welcoming and pleasant and he exchanges pleasantries with everyone shakes their hands thanks for coming and hears out the whole story the Rebbe tells them the families that are sitting in jail they have no money to pay their rents and they, they, they put it through them into jail there's men, there's women, there's children the Rebbe says okay one minute then he goes out to the room to the room where he probably has his safe and he comes back with a bag of coins, gold coins and he reaches into his pocket, he holds the gold coins by him and he does the old Vajavat the penny and he takes the Vajavat the penny and he puts it on the table and he says I hope you have much Hatzlacha in all your endeavors and the Al-Tarebbe looks at the penny and takes it with both hands and puts it in his pocket and starts to write him a receipt and on the receipt he writes him all these blessings of wealth and happiness and joy and health, whatever you can ask for. And the Altarebbe apparently had a beautiful handwriting. So this is a, a, a tremendous, made a tremendous ration on this man. Had a tremendous effect on him. As he watched the Altarebbe just write this receipt as if he just got a donation of who knows what. Al-Tarebbe took his hand again as he gave him the receipt and blessed him again, thanked him, and took the other two rabbis and started to walk out. There was steam coming out of their ears. The Al-Tarebbe never had to suffer this tremendous humiliation. This is what the Al-Tarebbe told them, not say a word. And they come out and they start to walk down the path and they're starting to tell the Altareb as they hear the doors closed behind them, why did you not throw that back in his head? 
How dare he insult you like that? As they're getting to the end of the path, they hear all of a sudden the door open up, and they hear the rich man calling, Rabbis, 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 please come back. Please come back. They came back in, and he tells the Al-Tarebbe, you said you needed around 5,000 ruble. I can't give you, the, I won't give you the five, I'll give you 1,000 ruble, which is a tremendous amount of money, obviously. <coughs> he took out a package, well packed, with whatever they called rubber bands in those days. And he gave it to the Alter Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe wrote him another receipt, and he wrote him again all the blessings that he wrote before him. The same magnitude, nothing changed, nothing increased. I mean, last time he got a Fajavet to Penny, and now he got this beautiful thousand rule. So you would think he would write a, a more elaborate, no, the same. No. The rabbi is walking out with the Alter Rebbe, they are so happy. They are so excited that the Rebbe didn't get embarrassed. The Alter Rebbe again by the door turns around and blesses him and walks out. But as they're walking down the path, the Alter Rebbe says, don't walk too fast. And as they're getting to the end of the path, again the door opens up. And again he's screaming, come back, come back, come back, come back. And he says, I can't, I can't do this. I won't be able to sleep at night. It's 5,000 you're asking for. I have no problem giving 5,000. Here's the other 4,000. Please make sure you count it. I don't want Chas V'Sholem. You should be short. I don't want Chas God forbid. You shouldn't have enough. Take the other 4,000. And they leave. The receipts and the, the goodbyes and the hugs and the kisses and they leave. No. These rabbis turn to the Al-Tarebbe and in simple language say, what was that? How did, what just happened here? This is the miser with the Fajavet Tepeni that everybody knows only gives the Fajavet Tepeni. How and what happened here that he gave you 5,000 rubles all of a sudden? The Al-Tarebbe explained to them, it's not a technique in fundraising, by the way. Don't try this at home. If a guy gives you a job with a penny, throw it back in his head. No, I'll Take it and smile and wave. But the Altarebbe said as follows. This man never had the joy of giving. Why should he have the joy of giving? After all, every time he gave, he got thrown in his head. And he came with a barrage of curses. What happened now? So now, I came in, and I accepted his donation. I made him happy with what he gave. I made him feel accomplished I made him feel with joy of the mitzvah that he just did 
And he went and he opened his heart. He finally found Simcha, Simcha Schaim, Simcha of Tzedakah, the happiness, the joy of giving. And this is, therefore, the concept of Kol Nediv Libay Yiviyahu, Estrumas Hashem. Whatever the Nediv Libay, what does the heart want to give? The heart, when it's happy, when it finds joy in giving, the heart finds no limits to giving. Amongst the Kalim that we're discussing today in Pasha's Truma, almost everything that's in the tabernacle is discussed. In the Holy of Holies rests the Holy Ark. The Holy Ark housed the two tablets. Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, went up to Sinai and brought down the tablets, and these Jews had sinned with the Chata'ego, with the golden calf. And those tablets broke. And then he went 40 days to ask forgiveness, and brought down after the next set of 40 days on Yom Kippur, a second set of tablets. Luches. Both of these are in the Aran. And the Aran rests in the Holy of Holies, a place where the Kohen Gadol visits once a year, and maybe only on Yom Kippur, and also with certain conditions. On the side of the Aran, there were two rings. In these rings were poles. These poles are used to carry the Arun. When they needed to carry, they needed to mobilize, they needed to go one place to the next. The Arun was moved only via these poles. Nobody touched the Arun itself, but they touched, they held on to these poles. Tells us the Pasuk. A mitzvah's loisasei minatera, a negative commandment in the tera. B'tabeis aron yuabadim and loyasuru mimenu. The poles of the ark will be in the rings, and they may never be removed. You are not allowed to take the poles out of the ark, out of the rings of the ark. So the ark always sat with the poles in its rings and this is how it was in the Holy of Holies. Why did the poles not why were they not allowed to be removed? To ensure 
that in case they ever had to travel, the Oren was ready to travel. Should not have to stand there putting in the poles and maybe in haste not put them in sturdy, not put them in right, and Chasashalom, the Oren would slide. This is brought down in the Sefer Achinach, Mitzvah 96, and therefore they had to be always firmly in the rings. What is a lesson to us? Why would that be a lesa say, and why is it so important in our service to God? As we said before, the Oren contained the Luchas, the Ten Commandments. And according to Reb Sajigon, these Ten Commandments comprise all the 613 mitzvahs. So therefore the Oren, <coughs> the Ark that housed these Luchas, is simply a metaphor of Torah study. By studying Torah, as we said before, a person's mind, a person's heart, becomes the home of Torah wisdom. In order to succeed in Torah study, a person needs to concentrate, intense concentration, to a level where the person removes themselves entirely from outside distractions. And we compare this, of course, to the Oren itself, which was hidden away, as we said before, in the Holy of Holies, in Kedush Kedoshim, in a place in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Temple, in the Tabernacle, wherever it was, it was off-limits. And the King Godel himself, the High Priest, only could go once a year. <coughs> but the poles of the Aaron, they teach us that when a person is, although the person is totally engrossed in terrorist study, the person must be always prepared to be mobile. Our Torah study needs to be accompanied by awareness, willingness to embark at any time, to any place, do whatever it takes to help and bring another Jew closer to Torah Mitzvah. Let us analyze a little bit the Luchas themselves, the broken Luchas, the whole Luchas. The Gemara, if you keep your score at home in Brachis, Chesamet Beis, 8, side 2. The Gemara teaches, as we said, the Aaron had the two sets of Luchis. The first set was given to Meshe Rabbeinu immediately after the revelation at Sinai. <coughs> of course, before the Jews sinned with the golden calf. At that point, the Jews were spiritually perfect. 
Nase v'nishma. 49 days of cleansing brought them out of the 49 levels of Tumah to the 49 levels of holiness. They were in good shape. If you want to check, you can, if you keep your score at home, again, the Gemara in Shabbos talks about it. Um, 146, Aidei, Kuf Mem Vov Amir Aleph. And the Gemara says a very interesting expression. Kishanit Natera, Stalik, I don't know the filth. The giving of the Torah, the filth departed from the Jews. So these broken luchas represent the tzaddik, the righteous man, the perfect Jew. Perfect and elevated state. The second set of luchas, unfortunately, were brought down on Yom Kippur. It took 80 days, 40 days for Meshach's Tvilas to ask for Mechila, 40 days for the Almighty to forgive the Jews and send down a second set of Luchas. This golden calf caused a major setback. So therefore we would say, we can say and we do say, that the second set of luchas don't represent the tzaddik, but rather they represent the balchuva. The one that repented so we see therefore both the tzaddik and the balchuva are represented in the yarn. Taking this serious. However, there's a third possible status of a Jew. A Jew, Rahman al-Tzan, is not keeping yet Torah mitzvahs. He's not a fully practicing Jew. He's the Jew at heart. But unfortunately, he's not doing what everybody else should be doing. <clears throat> so although the first Luchais represented Tzadik, the perfect Jew, because the state in which the Luchas are found, which is a broken state, they represent this Jew as well. So therefore, by representing all three categories of Jews in the Aaron, the Torah highlights the commandment to building a Mishkan, And what we learn from this mitzvah applies to every Jew equally. It doesn't matter what the current spiritual state of the Jew is. 
perfect, far from perfect, or repaired. Person must endeavor to elevate the material life to serve exclusively as a Migdash Ma'at, as a temple for the Almighty. Let's go into a little bit Hilchas Purim. Actually, the fast is going to be next Thursday. So, next Wednesday we'll discuss Purim, the halachas of the fast, and the halachas that will that are relevant to Matzah um, Shekel which of course we're going to give on Thursday. There's one opinion that says that when we give on Thursday, Machzah Shekel, because that's Tainus Esther, but since it's supposed to give before Megillah, so there's one opinion that says you give again on Sunday morning after Megillah. Before Megillah. Before Megillah. So... We'll discuss Mitzvah all that blinner the next week. Let me try to. I just want to discuss this one more thing about the Pasha. If we can get back to, if we can get into the Purim Halakhas, Matzah Shabbos, etc., we'll start that as well. Blinner that. Teda tells us they needed to build the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, and everybody brought material. They gave Zov, Chesef, and Cheshus. This collection took place right after the giving of the Teda. Right after the first Luchas were given. Before the golden calf came about. according to one opinion in the Zaya. Because we know that the Egel Azov was made from the earrings, the melted down earrings. But the Jews had so much gold and silver, why did they only give them the earrings? So we must say that they already gave the donations of a good portion of the gold and silver they got from the Egyptians for the Mishkan. And therefore they were left basically with the gold and the earrings. So, according to this chronology, chronology of events, when the Almighty tells the Jews to build a Mishkan, they were in the highest, most elevated, pure state. They just got from Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, as we said before, from Sekta Shabbos. But yet, at that very point, God instructed them to build a physical Mishkan, telling them that yes, your mundane possessions are able to build a home for God. And this is the highest level of what you can reach now. You are perfect. You are perfect in all areas. But you can get even higher with the building of the the nation to the Michigan.
So according to this opinion, if B'nai Israel would not have already consecrated the bulk of their gold for this higher purpose, all the gold would have been contributed to the golden calf, to this big Aveda. So this, of course, teaches us We need to always create a home for God. And this has to be the first and highest priority in our lives. Our own homes as well. But the, how did they build this Mishkan? It was built with wood that's called Atze Shitim. Acacia wood. The Jews were traveling in the desert. Where did they get this acacia wood from? So there's different mephodishim, different commentaries. One commentary says, it grew in the nearby forests in the, near the, the, the desert. Okay. You could say whatever you'd like. It floats your boat. And then there was some that say that there were merchants in the desert, and they found the merchants and they bought from the merchants. But Ben Chamish the Mikra says, I want to see what Rashi is going to tell me. Where did they get the Yatze Shitim? <laughs> and Rashi explains a beautiful little explanation. B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim with Atzei Shittim. And they had this Atzei Shittim to build the Mishkan with. And this is, this is the Rashi, brought down in the Medrash. Medrash Rabbi Tanchuma. And he writes, Our forefather Yaakov foresaw this with his Ruach HaKedosh, his divine intuition. He saw Ben Yisrael were destined to build a Mishkan in the desert. He therefore brought with him from Eretz Yisrael these cedars, these trees, and he planted them. And he instructed his children to tell their children and to keep it in the generations that this has to leave Egypt with them. Wow. Yaakov Avinu went through all this trouble to schlep the woods, the trees, from Canaan to bring them to Egypt, to plant them in Egypt. And to make sure that he instructs his children, they always be available, and that they should make sure they take care of them, and they make sure that they leave Egypt with them, because they're going to need them for the Mishkan. Okay, he gets A plus for foresight, for Ruach HaKedosh. 
But he gets A++ for making sure his children were taken care of. Making sure that they had the wood that they're going to need. But why? Why didn't he, couldn't he rely on what other Yerushalayim said they could have done? From nearby forests, or from the um, from merchants? Why did Yaakov have to go to this extreme measure of taking the trees from Eretz Yisrael and planting them? There had a, there's a master plan behind this. Yaakovina was not just a simple person. He knew exactly what he was doing. Sirashi answers this question by quoting the person, the Medrash, that states this. Usually when Rashi quotes somewhere, or brings a source from somewhere, he doesn't usually give the name. Although it says, that when you say something in the name, when you say something in the name of the person that says it, you bring Ula into the world. But, He doesn't always quote the actual name of the person, the source that he said that he heard this from. He says most of the time, "I'm Rav Yitzchak, his teacher, etc." But here Rashi says from Rabbi Tanchuma. Tanchuma is the lotion of Tanchumim. Consolation. Nechama. Rashi is giving us a tremendous lesson here. The trees that Yaakov took and planted in Egypt and he brought them from Eretz Yisrael with him was a symbol, a prophecy a guarantee to the children that one day Hashem will take them out of Egypt and bring them to Eretz Yisrael. And because they'll be free, they'll need to build a Mishkan. So whereas the Jews were suffering for hundreds of years in Egypt, in the most dark and difficult moments of their slavery, (coughs) they saw these trees and this gave them solace. This gave them hope. This gave them comfort. Seeing trees from the land of Israel, seeing trees that their forefather planted and said, take it with you when you leave Egypt, said all over it, we are going to leave Egypt. And the proof is that our forefathers said so, and here are the trees to prove them.
And this, therefore, was the Nechama, the Tanchuma that the Jews had. And although he knew B'nai Yisrael could obtain wood anywhere else, he made sure that they get the wood and they have the wood always in front of them, reminding them that this was what they needed to go out of Gaulus, and this will be here with them when they leave Gaulus, and thereby being a guarantee to the Jews and giving them comfort, giving them joy, and knowing. When I look at the tree, I know this is my light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. <laughs> so as we said, this Shabbos is not any particular extra parsha. it's not an extra Sefer Teda, it's a simple Shabbos, but it's a Shabbos in Chedesh Other, it's Erev Zayin Other, Zayin Other, Meish Rabbein is the and birthday, so there are those people who will celebrate with cakes and some people will celebrate with fasting. The tzaddikim, according to Shemarach, fast on Zion other. So. But as much as they might fast, even if there's ten people together, they do not lay in Vayichal. They do not make a official fast day with Anenu, etc. in it. Except if it was by Mincha, maybe. Um, there are those that keep it as a yamtiv and they don't say Tachtan only to Mincha. There are a zillion different customs for Zion other. The basic thing is to learn Tata, and especially since on a Sunday, everybody has time on their hands, most people are not working, and you can sit, and you can study Tata, and have it in Meisha Rebbeinu's memory, in Meisha Rebbeinu's schus, and schus Yogan Aleinu, and since Meisha is Gael Rishin, Meisha Gael Achrein, Meisha is the first Redeemer, Meisha too will be the last Redeemer, and we Bizecha, that before this very Shabbos, we should have the Teda Hakdesha, the Teda Hadosha, Miti Teitzei, in Yerushalayim, Yerakedish, in the Beis Hamikdash Hashlishi, Mehele Yibone, as the different different opinions, how it's going to be built and what's going to be built. It depends on the generation, but our generation is Kuli Tzadikim, and therefore it's going to be built totally out of fire, and it will come down total completion. And we will see in this Shabbos, Karbonis, and ultimately, Vizeichet, the Nechem, and Azrachem, and Absachim, as we come on, we have to put him, Shleishmiemke, the Machag, Shabbat, Shalom to all.